night before the wedding, I was out to dinner with my dad's soon bride to be and and my uncle and um, and sitting at that table again, I started to have another panic attack. So I excused myself and went outside, and I was just crying at the end of this parking lot, looking looking over some strip mall in California, and and my uncle just kind of quietly stood next to me, came up beside me. He said, can I take you to therapy now? And I said, yes. And um, I often will describe that as the moment that saved my life. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a case presentation, interview, or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at ergonomy.org. The best way to help the American College of Ergonomy spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. If you're interested in training with the ACO, you can learn more about the medical organ therapy and social ergonomy training programs. You can connect with us and learn more at ergonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. This episode features an interview with Jen, a patient who is kind enough to tell me about her story and her experience in medical organ therapy. So Jen, I, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me, and uh, I've been interviewing the ergonomists about how they became medical ergonomists, how they found out about therapy, Wilhelm Reich, and, and medical ergonomy. But I'm especially excited to talk with you uh, to hear from the patient perspective about how you learned about medical ergon therapy, what impact it's had on you, and, and just more about the experience and what it's been what has been for you? Sure. How I heard about it is um, a little bit of a bittersweet question for me because the person who introduced me to it um, passed in the last year, and that's my uncle. Um, and he first, I think, mentioned the idea of it to me when I was, you know, a early to middle teenager, 14, 15, 16, and would just say, I'm doing this, this great kind of therapy, the emotions are in your body, and you know you can tap into things from when you were a young baby by just, you know, some work on your body, and, you know, he wasn't pushy about it, but I remember I had kind of roadblocks go up that, yeah, I'm already feeling enough in my body, I'm a teenager, and, and you know, I'm glad it's working for you, but no thanks. Jen, I'm curious, what prompted him to bring it up? I That's a good question, because um, we were always close and comfortable, but I, I doubt as a teenager I was, like, divulging, you know, any, you know, deep emotional things to him. We, we had a pretty lighthearted relationship at that time. Um, I'm guessing you know, knowing what I know now, you know, years and years later that he had wished he'd had it when he was younger and as a teenager. Um, 
I think he found therapy, you know, in his 40s or 50s, and I'm sure that he really felt that it would have been helpful earlier. So I think that was probably part of it. It came from the effect that he it had on him and him wanting to share that with you, maybe? I think so. I mean, but my parents were going through a divorce at that time, and I did struggle with eating disorders, um, did some group treatment for that. I had my anxiety, but I, in in hindsight, I probably wasn't doing great, but I was like muddling through and had, you know, um, people in my community, like my friend's parents and my school counselor who were really supportive of me. And, and yeah, I'm sure he saw some sense of struggle, um, just, some some environmental stuff and some just being a teenager and probably thought it would be helpful, but I wasn't actively asking him. I see. Um, and so, and it would come up lightly every now and then. And I think even um, if I remember correctly, sometimes he'd even take me to run errands, one of them being therapy. Say, do you just want to meet Dr. Christ? <laughs> and, you know, do you just want to say hi? And I'd say no because I could see right through it um, that no, I'm not, I'm not ready. And and I think I would sit in the car and read, you know, in what would later be my therapist's parking lot, um, you know. Um, so, but but it, he was very good about it. It was a light-handed suggestion, and I think set the stage for me knowing it was there. And so I muddled through high school, you know the good and the bad and the ugly of that experience and went went off to college in Boston. And I think I thought I was okay, but but college was was probably pretty hard for me. I was so excited to be away from home and, you know, kind of start my own life. But I also found um, maybe everybody feels this way to some extent, but I think in particular in the '90s there was just a lot of partying, and and I went into it. You know, I, I there was binge drinking and eventually pot my sophomore year, um, and I really couldn't see clearly that you know it was a problem because I wasn't like doing it constantly. I wasn't necessarily craving it, but I was definitely immersed in. In that and it seems like everyone was we're talking about you know straight-a students and star athletes and and um, sorority girls with pearls like just everybody was wasted yeah um, and so I fell into that some and then um, it kind of culminated in kind of towards the end of my sophomore year I had a really horrible experience trying ecstasy um, for which I and I ended up being grateful for because it was kind of like okay you don't do well with drugs but it was it was bad it was very very bad I was very scared um, had a horrible effect on my body and my mind got through the rest of that year um, somehow passed my classes and went home in just a horrible state of anxiety and you know I was I was staying with my mom in California that's where I grew up. And we were out to dinner with her and a friend of both of my parents who kind of casually mentioned to me that, you know, how do you feel about the wedding? And I said, what wedding? And she said, your dad's wedding. And 
I realized she was telling me my dad was engaged and he hadn't told me. Oh, wow. And for whatever reason, you know, and my dad and I, you know, had, had a not close relationship, but not necessarily a bad relationship. But in this moment, it kind of hit me how, how off that was that he wouldn't have spoken to his daughter first. And I had a full-blown panic attack right at that dinner table um, you know, where the waitress had to bring me a paper bag to breathe into and I, things were out of control. You know, my anxiety was out of control. Um, so then later that summer when the wedding was happening, my uncle was in town and I think the night before the wedding, I was out to dinner with my dad's soon bride to be and, and my uncle and, um, and sitting at that table again, I started to have another panic attack. So I excused myself and went outside. And I was just crying at the end of this parking lot, looking looking over some strip mall in California. And, and my uncle just kind of quietly stood next to me, came up beside me. And he said, can I take you to therapy now? And I said, yes. And um, I often, will describe that as the moment that saved my life. Um, and I don't mean that I would die, you know, um, but that I was, I was just crashing towards, you know, something very unhealthy and destructive and um, not thriving. So this, this was the moment, him just gently reaching out when I was ready. And then he made it happen. You know, he, he helped me book the flight. Um, scheduled the appointments. I think I then, you know, a week and a half or so later stayed with him for a couple of weeks and, and had, I want to say four to six appointments with Dr. Christ. I see. Do you remember what those initial appointments were like or what your experience was? Um, some I do. Um, I remember, um, I, mean, I remember certain details and I don't know, I don't know if they're important to me, so might as well share. But I remember um, that I was comfortable in his office. You know, I felt at ease somehow, um, as opposed to backtracking a little bit. I had tried to go to kind of a traditional psych evaluation that summer at a hospital where it was like five minutes of, of tell me everything that's bothering you and then pushing a prescription for Prozac across the table. Um. Um, that's an important part of the story because, and it's not that I was anti-medication forever and ever, but in that moment I was like, I feel like you need to know me better before putting on, me on this at 19. Um, and so, and and that felt very clinical and I didn't feel that way with, with Dr. Christ. It felt comfortable. I remember one important difference in those initial sessions is not only did he ask me what was wrong, but he asked me what I liked, you know, what, what do you like doing? Physically, what do you like doing? You know, emotionally, you know, and, and we talked about writing, I remember, and tell me what you like about writing. And there was something very special about that that I needed at that time um, that I think he probably had a sense that I needed somebody to help me see what was still good in there. Mm -hmm. you know? um, 
I do remember we did some physical work, you know, breathing and kicking and moving my eyes and that it got at some stuff. And I really remember, um, I remember in a lot of those early sessions in his older office, you know, he's moved offices since he had, right as you were leaving the office, um, that quote from Hamlet, right by the door, this above all to thine own self be true. And as a literature buff, that really spoke to me and made me feel like this guy gets it. You know, that that's all I have to do is be myself here. Um, so I remember that being meaningful. That, that stands in stark contrast to going along with the crowd and getting high and getting drunk and just doing what everybody else is doing. Right. And it's interesting that you that you say it like that because I, I've tried to explain this. It's not that I was like, it's a different, I feel like people misinterpret peer pressure, you know, that nobody was saying, hey, Jen, you know, come get wasted or you have no friends, but you felt like you couldn't connect if you weren't in that mix somehow. Or it just was, you know, as young people were desperate to make connection. And if the shared connection is that, you know, that it's like, that's what peer pressure is, is just feeling like you need to be a part of something. And if everybody's doing, I mean, I literally feel like everybody was doing that for most of my twenties. So yeah, it was, it was a contrast. Um, I remember leaving those first few sessions with a feeling of hope. You know, I was not better by any stretch of the imagination. Like, okay, she's done, she's fixed. But I felt like I felt like it could work, you know, I felt like something, you know, even if I felt even more pain from addressing some of the feelings, I, I felt like this was, I was on the right track. I was on to something. I see. For me in the first, you know, sessions, I, I was just exhausted after, um, that's something I remember, which I don't know is the experience for everyone, but I mean, we're talking just exhausted like couldn't make it to my uncle's house in the car without falling into a deep sleep and my uncle was very understanding about it and would say well you're going through emotional surgery you know you need to recover and I remember he would set up a hammock and it was summer so he would set up a hammock in his backyard he lived in the mountains and I would just recover from therapy for three hours sometimes under the trees and and that's just such a huge part of my experience for me is, is not only connecting with Dr. Christ, but, but my uncle's caretaking of me, um, in contrast with, you know, my father, his brother, not even bothering to tell me about this important thing in his life. And then my uncle kind of carving out space for me to feel and be, um, I also remember, and I think I've like literally never told anybody this, um, at night, when I would have therapy at night at my uncle's, like kind of after he'd go to bed, I would go out on his back porch and it was so quiet in the mountains and the trees. And for some reason, it felt good to just spontaneously sing. That came out after therapy. And I think probably something loosened up in my voice or in my spirit that just made me want to sing. And... I never even I never spoke to my uncle about it. Like, did you hear me? Did you? Did yeah. you? 
and I've never even, t I don't even think I've ever told Dr. Christ about it. It's just something I've thought about, you know, and thinking about um, having this conversation. Yeah. But I just, but I think it was like a little joy loosened up in me. My voice loosened up in me. So, That's wonderful. Yeah. And and so then how did things progress? Um. So I, you know, I go back home and get ready to go back to college. Um, I know my junior year, I wouldn't say I was free of partying, but definitely changed to where it might be that I would go to a party and, and drink a little for a reason, like somebody's birthday or I had changed. I stayed home a lot. I took naps. I did a little bit better with my schoolwork. Um, and I did go to therapy periodically, but it wasn't regular at this time. It was more like when I could find a chunk of days to go, mm -hmm. um, just given I was in Boston and, you know, therapy was in New Jersey, which isn't an impossible, you know, distance, but it's not easy when you're in school. And I think I would kind of go a little bit as needed, you know, if things would start to bubble up again. I do remember that first time I went in the summer, my my uncle suggested that I formally ask Dr. Christ if I could be his regular patient. And so that was established that I was his regular patient and that he thought it would work to come and go as needed and, and, and that he thought I was handling those chunks of sessions well. Mm -hmm. So I think it was having some impact. It wasn't the the deepest I would ever go with therapy during that time, but it was it was clearly getting at something because then by the end of my junior year, I made the decision that I want I, I'm not liking the school or the people or the atmosphere, and I need to take some time off. Um, every parent's dream: you've made it through three years of college, and now you're going to go take time off. And and I very much evaluated: can't I just do something to get through this last year and get my degree, but I just felt in my gut that it was, it, it, and then what, you know, that I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I was bouncing around majors. So I went and I took time off, moved to a different neighborhood in Boston and just waited tables for a year. And during that time, then I started to go to therapy more. Mm. Um, and then eventually ended up transferring schools in Boston still and, and, and got into a writing program, which was like kind of one of those first things that Dr. Chris and I talked about, what do you like to do? So I think therapy was very much a part of that, that, you know, he, he kind of helped me identify that spark in my first session and somehow get, getting some of the junk out of the way. That's where I ended up, you know, having the courage to do what I like to do. And that new school in the writing program, all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I was a stellar student, you know, like teacher's pet, like wrote prolifically, was, you know, published in the lit mags. And, and, um, and it so, sounds like your heart was in it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And my heart was more in that work than anything. You know, it was, it was, and there were still things, you know, I was still figuring things out. I'm still in my 20s. Um, and I had, you know, kind of a long-term roommate who I kind of had 
you know, a bit of a toxic relationship with that, that I had to figure out my friendship with her. But yeah, we were, we were onto something and, and, you know, I, I was, I was definitely getting somewhere. Um, there was a time then when I was in writing school and then I went on to graduate school, even at that same school where I, I think that I must've made the decision I'm buckling down now and really doing therapy. And I would go once a week and yeah, I think it was a sign of maturity that instead of, you know, partying, wasting time, I was, I was waiting tables in grad school and, and then on my one day off flying to New Jersey and back to go to therapy. That's a lot of commitment. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and, and during this time too, that roommate was expressing some doubt that I was getting better that I think probably people who have been through therapy can relate to that it can maybe seem like you're getting getting worse before it gets better because you're stirred up. You know, I, I you know, orgone therapy isn't for the faint of heart. You know, you're, you're actively um, dealing with your stuff. So, so stuff was coming up and maybe sometimes I'd get, you know, more anxious because of something that came up or more open about it. So, so yeah, I think it, I think it took, took a lot more than I realized to continue with it. Could, could you say something about that? The challenge of, of dealing with your stuff in therapy? Um, I, I mean, I think for, for probably everyone, it's hard to really look at yourself and, and what makes you tick and, and especially, you know, the, the physical side of, of orgone therapy, um, for me, Sometimes some really early stuff comes up, you know, that I am involuntarily crying like an infant and feeling kind of, um, I don't know, the pain of not being in contact probably with my parents. And there's something to realizing that you've been walking around with that in you that's difficult. Um, or there are times when I would get on, you know, for me, um, I'm both great with and struggle with perspective and, and times when I'd get out of perspective and would know it and would have to work on, on, on that. Um, I think it's challenging. This is, this is, this is deep work, real work. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know where to go next, but but my therapy story isn't over right then. Um, but I did at some point in grad school tell Dr. Christ, you know, I want to move to Italy to be with this man in the Navy who I've met. And um, and I think the question on the table was, am I okay enough to go be without therapy? And he was encouraging, yeah, go live your life. You've been working on your life in here. Um, you'll be fine and I'll be here if you need me. And um, and so that happened. <laughs> so I went off and lived in Sicily and um, got married to my first husband and um, lived the life of a military wife and overseas. And um, I did speak to Dr. Chris some. I had 
an American landline because we were attached to the Navy where I could have phone sessions. So I did that some. Um, I quit smoking over there, which was a big deal. And that was kind of a little bit of leftover from those partying days. And so I, I remember needing Dr. Chris then because a lot came up that I was forcing down through smoking cigarettes. You know, by the time I came back, I was pregnant with my daughter. So, and, and then that, that kind of enters a new phase of therapy for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to hear what it was like to, to be with your therapist on the phone, and I'm sure that's continued, especially, you know, with the pandemic, but um, we can talk about that now or later. But, but yeah. I'm curious to hear your perspective. I, and I think it's different now. I think it's different than, it, you know, it was different in Sicily than it is maybe now. But I think actually it was kind of good when I was in Sicily because, um, you know, I have a lot, I there's a lot that comes up for me physically in therapy. And I, I've always really um, enjoyed that part of, enjoyed is a weird word, but, but delved into that part of orgone therapy. And I think sometimes when we can have a phone session, it's a nice way to step back and do some of the character work and perspective work and, and not just push into the big emotions. And, and, and so there was some meaningful stuff that came during that time. I remember, you know, we did some work on, on what I might want as a career someday and stuff that maybe, you know, if I just go on the couch and stuff immediately comes up because I'm in that environment where I'm used to stuff coming up, um, that maybe we wouldn't get to. I see. And I'm an, I'm a new wife. I, you know, and we, we moved quick, you know, we, this was somebody I knew um, a little bit before, but we kind of like reconnected. It was right post 9-11 and I was checking on him. He's, he's in the military and it's time of war. And so it was all very, um, there was a lot for the beginning, for my first marriage, you know, that we're in a foreign country, you know, um, after that placement, he was probably going to be put on an aircraft carrier. And, and so, I'm sure we worked some on that, me just figuring out how to be married and, and navigating some of that. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, I, I've, I've thought before it's not ideal to, to work on the phone necessarily, but sometimes, but I think like in hindsight, maybe sometimes it is, it's a step back to do some of the work beyond the physical. Mm -hmm. So, um, Oh, I did want to, I don't know why, but the, the quitting smoking made me think of something, um, again, that I, I haven't even like revisited with Dr. Christ, but I do remember in those years when I was in college and going to therapy and figuring it out, I think at one point, you know, as I was getting better and at writing school and everything, I did smoke pot again or something, and I told him, and I don't know why this feels important to share, but I think the skill that medical or grown therapists possess is just incredible. They're so careful is the, is the, you know, but at this moment, Dr. Chris, a little bit sternly said to me, I need you not to smoke pot or you can't come to therapy, which in hindsight, that was an incredible risk he took. Like he had to have known in his bones that therapy was more important to me. 
than drugs and that it wasn't me and that I knew that and that I trusted him enough. Um, and I didn't ever again, you know, cause I heard him. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, I don't know. I just felt like that was an important thing to share that he probably obviously didn't say on day one, you know, but at that point. Well, it, I mean, it sounds clear that that's something if you discussed on day one, it, it would be completely different than at that point in your relationship together in a doctor patient relationship and where you were in therapy and, and your connection with yourself. Right. That's right. Um, so um, sorry to backtrack on that, but I, but I've, I've thought about that lately that, yeah, it was like, it was, he had the level to which he'd have to trust our relationship and trust himself and, and what he was doing. It's really pretty impressive to say something that clearly, I don't think he would have kicked me out if I messed up, but, but basically the message was, this isn't, especially for you, this is not working for you. We've made progress. Yeah. So, um, so when I came back from Sicily, my, my, my then husband did indeed go off on an aircraft carrier and there I was alone and pregnant. And um, I think I saw him, Dr. Christ in person once or twice pregnant with my daughter. Um, and we did more phone work then. And this, this was one of the most crucial times for me with therapy because I'm in a new town and I'm alone and I'm a first time mom. My marriage, it had its issues, you know, with everything, you know, being in a foreign country and, and now he's not, you know, in the, in the rushed nature of it. Um, and, and even just the anxiety about childbirth and breastfeeding, Dr. Chris and I did so much work on that, but I think really made a difference for me and my daughter. So, um, Maybe you can say more about that, of, of the process of pregnancy and, and becoming a mother and, and how therapy affected that. Yeah. I mean, I remember it was just a different perspective beyond the what to expect when you're expecting book um, that I wanted to know kind of on an emotional and energetic level. What was the what was the perspective through organomy and right? You know, um, I would ask. You know, I think I want to have a natural birth, but what if I can't? And I remember um, we talked about how Dr. Chris said, as much of your labor as you can go through and experience and discharge, the better. And then if you need something, you need something. But we, we kind of worked out together that an epidural would be better for me than like a narcotic that would get me emotionally out of touch with with the situation and that jived with me um, as much as I had experimented and especially those couple of first years in college, like I didn't have a good reaction, even having wisdom teeth and Percocet. Like I just, I don't like how, how drugs make me feel. Mm -hmm. I of course like found, you know, worked through in therapy and, and finally had the courage to not just follow all my peers, but, but we kind of worked through that part of childbirth, you know, kind of the plan. Um, I had, I remember, you know, they, they still, even with moms, I, 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 at one point 
after having my children worked as a postpartum doula, which we can talk about too. I think therapy was a big part of that. But um, I still don't like how um, with new moms, they just really pound into them. Breast is best, breast is best, breast is best. That if anything possibly goes wrong with breastfeeding, you know, moms become so hard on themselves. Yeah. That was happening with me, that I was afraid that I wasn't going to be able to breastfeed or that I wasn't going to like it. Um, we talked through, and again, this is, I think, probably true of any good therapy patient relationship, but I think it's very true of ergonomy that nothing's off the table and especially sexual energy. So I was able to say, I'm anxious about breastfeeding because I associate you know, breast stimulation is a sexual thing. And, you know, um, and, and we kind of talked through that, that sexual feelings don't have to mean sex and that you're going to be fine. And, you know, kind of, I was able to, you know, say that, say that I was worried about that part of it. And, um, and so we talked through some of that. And then I remember, um, you know, when it, when I did have my daughter, you know, I I made a call to Dr. Christ at some point in the hospital to let him know. Um, I think even my uncle encouraged me. Did you tell Dr. Christ? I think they'd been having sessions still, or and and Dr. Christ was asking as she had the baby. So I called and just left a message. And this I, this is a very fond memory for me that he called me in the hospital and um she was kind of cooing in my lap and he, and he said, is that her? And I could hear it in his voice that it was very meaningful to have seen this young, messed up 19 year old woman, you know, um, anxious as all heck and turning to drugs and drinking become a healthy, a healthy mom. So, um, and then I remember, um, because we talked about that discharge of energy um, I told him, I said, but my birth was only three hours, you know, and did I, did I discharge enough energy? And he said, anytime you, you have a vaginal birth, you've discharged all the energy there is. <laughs> we even had that little moment of therapy to patient reassurance, yeah. um, even though it was kind of a social call, but it, and then, you know, he, he was emotional when he met her for the first time too. And, and um, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir how meaningful it must be to see patients become parents and have successful relationships. And Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what really struck me was what you said about nothing being off the table and talking about your breasts and sexuality. And, you know, I can only imagine how many mothers and just people generally have so many things that they feel and think about that they just they don't have a place to be able to express it. And to, and to get any kind of perspective or feedback on it. That's right. I mean, in fact, like, for, for whatever reason, like, I get a lot of reassurance um, from just ask, asking Dr. Chris, have you heard this before? Like, and, oh, yeah, I've heard it before, you know, just to know that I'm not the only person who's asked this question. Um, or even to just have him, he, he never... There's never been anything I've said where that's made him flinch or, you know, and, and yeah, that's, that's a very valuable part of it. And I think, unfortunately, probably even in some 
therapy relationships, you know, maybe there's a different opinion about talking about sexuality or fears or, and, and I, I don't feel like that's the case when it comes to ergonomy. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, like what's interesting is that, so my first session after giving birth and I had, you know, through my years and years of anxiety and, and, and kind of, and I, I think it's gotten a little bit better with the drugs and the drinking and young people. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's wishful thinking because I have teenagers. But um, but again, at that time in the 90s, you know, you, your relationships were clouded too by by just everybody tuning out a little bit. And so um, I did in my therapy have to work through some of that whatever I had blocked sexually during that time or, or sexual anxiety, um, you know, which, which is something that's not off the table, of course, in ergonomy. But um, I bring that up because my first session after giving birth, I mean, I thought that I had gotten pretty far when Dr. Chris was like, yeah, go to, go to Italy. You're good. You know, you're, you're going to be fine. You, you don't need therapy at this point. You might want it to delve deeper, but you're good. But the, the voice that came out of me and the feelings that were able to come out of me after childbirth, it's almost as if, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, I had this great expressive vaginal birth and immediately my daughter was placed on my chest, a rush of love, like the likes of which I, you know, the moment I became a mom is, is the second moment that changed and saved my life after my uncle in the parking lot. I just was involuntarily saying, I can't believe how much I love you. Um, I believe I had that birth and that openness to the experience of that love because of the work I'd done in therapy. And then on the flip side, that kind of final opening of, I guess, you know, you know, my genital energy, I guess, from having a great natural birth. And all of a sudden, it was a new era in therapy where after that first session, the way my voice came out of me, and it's interesting, I remember, I remember it very clearly because um, Dr. Christ was, was building his new office, and so we were at the ACO, actually, and I was just very open to the point where we kind of looked at each other afterwards like, well, <laughs> that's different. Um, and, and so then I enjoyed even greater depths in therapy having given birth. And, and bonding with my daughter. And and, and so um, then you began raising her, and I'm curious how just how parenting going along, being in therapy with the experiences and the knowledge you have, how that's affected your parenting as your kids have grown up. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think it's a really important question because the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that is really, really even talking about in my 20s, they are the reason, the real reason I go to therapy. Um, at some point, either Dr. Christ or my uncle or both of them shared some little anecdote with me, um, some little story about a group therapy organization where there's some little joke where two of the group members run into each other after years and years and 
oh, do you ever see anyone from the old group? And, you know, oh, yeah, I see Gail and I see Bob and, you know, oh, how is Gail? Well, she's, she's kind of the same, but you should see her kids. And that kind of stuck with me. That if I still struggle in my life, but maybe, you know, by being in therapy, I can, I can, I can do a little better by them. They're, they're really the reason that I keep at this. Um, so I think, I mean, both of my children met Dr. Chris very early on and even had some therapy and evaluation, um, lightly, like from infancy, you know, just were on the couch early on. Um, Jen, if I can interrupt you for a second, I think it's, it's an interesting, um, point uh, to underscore, which was to be able to even evaluate and work with a, a young child, an infant, um, speaks to the work that we're doing, that it's beyond just, you know, words, talk therapy. Oh, totally. And even the perspective, I, I, I'll get to that. I, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with the, with the work <laughs> we do. Um, I, I mean, I still talk to Dr. Christ all the time about parenting. So I, there's so many ways in which it impacts it. So I'll try to back up. Number one is it's equipped, you know, my own therapy has equipped me to just accept their stuff. So when big emotions come out of them, thoughts that other parents might think are scary or, you know, or might touch their pearls, you know, a little bit. Um, I think it's given me a little bit of resilience for, for people who have stuff and so do kids and, and letting them have their emotions and, and, and their stuff. So being kind of open to them being who they are, even if I don't always, you know, feel comfortable in their emotions, I, I accept it. They also know that therapy isn't taboo, you know, that this is something I do. I'm honest about it. I don't make a big deal about it. They have different feelings about it at different times. And, and you know, right now my daughter is clear she doesn't want it. And, and like my uncle was with me, I'm, I'm patient with that. But, but at least I know she knows that it's there and, and, that I do it and, and there's nothing wrong with, with having therapy. I'm sure I've gotten out a lot of feelings about my kids on the couch, you know, just the overwhelming feelings of love. Like, you know, I, I, that comes out of me sometimes in therapy. I don't remember what else I was going to say about it, but um, go on. What, I, what I'm thinking about is uh, as you're, you're talking is, you know, as a medical ergonomist, um, part of our role is to be aware of and comfortable with the full range of human emotion. And it sounds like Dr. Christ and your work with him was able to help you feel more comfortable with the full range of, of misery and sadness, rage and love and everything in between. Yes, definitely. Um, and even like the interesting, I just think that anything goes perspective that's beyond maybe the traditional or um, 
accepted by society norm. I'm I'm thinking of a time, the the man I moved to Italy for the you know the father of my children. We did eventually divorce, and um, my kids were were fairly young. You know they were four and six. My then husband didn't want to do therapy with me, um, but I knew that was what was needed to kind of make sure this decision was was sound. And so I went by myself with the kids to New Jersey. Um, at this point, I live in Minnesota. And so I traveled with them, to, stayed with my uncle for two weeks, again, kind of like that first time. And like, okay, let's dig in now. This is serious. And um, I remember two things. I remember first, Dr. Chris said, because he knew why I was coming. He didn't have me go on the couch for like the first time since the first time I met him. It's I, I'm just realizing it was very much kind of like that first time where instead he sat across from me because he didn't, I probably didn't need me to get all stirred up with the physical, but like what's going on? And, and he said, I, I, we've talked about it since I very clearly said my marriage is over. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we, I think we talked for two hours that time. He encouraged me to book a longer session and, and kind of work through that. And at some point during those couple of days, he saw my kids um, lightly, you know, not anything serious or not delving into them about how they feel, you know, about me and their dad, but just kind of checking in. And I nervously checked in with him then as a parent, not as his patient after I was like, kind of, how are they? And he said, because he knew what was on the table and that I could be hard on myself about being a mom. And, and he said, you know, you, you haven't messed them up by, and I was expecting him to say by, you know, breaking up with their dad. And he said, by being in a marriage, you're unhappy and for this long. So even that perspective, that I think maybe isn't there sometimes with traditional therapy that sometimes it's just time. Yeah. Um, Seeing things as they are rather than they should be or how someone else says they are. And you know. we later worked through that, of course, it was impactful for my children to have their family of origin split up. And, and of course, there is stuff. But that you know, probably in the long run, that impact was less damaging than than pushing through something that's not working. Yeah. You know, one thing that uh, stands out is um, I don't hear you saying that you're talking about uh, why you are the way you are or all this ideas about how things came to be for you and maybe that is part of it but what can you say about that um we do talk about that <laughs> some um you know i i think we we first probably talked about that most seriously the last session before i went to italy kind of exploring a little more of of that who i am and why for some reason now in pandemic and, and since my uncle's death, um, since my uncle's death, I've made another commitment to um, seeing Dr. Chris once a week on video, not, so there's no couch, you know, um, we, I think we tried to, to 
to do couch over video and and it's it for me it didn't work but there's enough of a trust and and um that free emotional expression is what our relationship is so enough comes up without without the physical um and i think yeah in this last year i've maybe done more work than ever on the why i am the way i am and I don't know if that answers your question, but it's come up at times, you know, things about my relationship with my mom or things about my relationship with my dad and and just who I am as a person. But I, it, it's been really beautifully handled um, by Dr. Christ, I think. Like, you know, um, the narrative has always been, this is the good of who, of the way you are. This is how you've grown. This isn't all of who you are. You know, you know, it's it's been nice uh -huh. to handle, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but. Well, uh, I, I guess what what stands out to me is. How much therapy has impacted you and how much um, you're able to use it without having an intellectual discussion, maybe about, you know. What your mom said that one time or what your dad did that time and um and not get bogged down with these ideas about things yeah no i would say that's true and and so that if something about my mom or my dad comes up it's because it spontaneously come from the work not there's never been a even close to a tell me about your mother moment yeah you know um well because of the way you were raised you know nothing nothing no it's 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 very natural. That's the best way I would describe it. It it um and I would say this too, I you know, about my experience in therapy is that is that I call the shots and I run the show. We don't go somewhere I'm not ready to go. If I go farther than maybe I was ready to go in a given session, which I'm a little guilty of, especially with the physical work. Um especially if I haven't been able to, to, you know, come to therapy physically for a while, I'll want to, you know, get at as much physical as possible. And if I push to a point that then I'm a little, you know, well, that was a lot. Um, it's because I've pushed there. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Um, I'll tell you what, what makes a lot of sense about what you just said is, um, from the perspective of medicine and how doctors and patients interact, you know, there's a lot of talk these days about the old authoritarian ways of, you know, you do what the doctor says, and now it's almost become a like customer service mentality where you do what makes the patient happy. And what I'm hearing you describe is a, a very lively, trusting relationship between you and your doctor where, um, your input is, is is valued and important and you are calling the shots and yet he's also the authority figure uh, in your treatment and so when he needs to say you know you got to stay away from marijuana you listen to him you know that's right and you know i mean that trust also gosh now at this point <laughs> i've 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 known him for 27 years. It's a long time. Um, that hasn't been 27 years of weekly therapy. You know, yeah. there, there are, it comes and goes. 
I've had people question, well, if this therapy is so great, why are you, why are you still at it? Because life is hard. It doesn't stop. And, and I don't want to go sit from the beginning again with tell me about your mother. You know, this is someone who knows me. And as, as things still come up in my relationships and, um, and with my children, he knows me well. And part of that is it used to be, you know, years ago it was very hard for me but now it's very easy for me even to tell him when I'm displeased with him <laughs> or you know that doesn't work when you you know I just wanted to point something out um that, that that's getting to me or I that makes it sound like I have a lot of bad things to say about no, it. I, I think it's wonderful because you know when you talk about the time and therapy you know if you think of you know, a 10 appointment therapy to reduce your anxiety, you know, some kind of pop headline of, you know, do this therapy for 20 weeks and you're cured. Would you ever get to the point where you could uh, express your dissatisfaction with a technique or a person and what they say or do? Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I, you know, and I, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've gotten angry at him, you know, about, Sometimes I all even then back up and say, maybe not all that anger was for you, you know, and, I, and we even have that relationship or mm -hmm. a lot of humor. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting relationship. It's, it's very valuable. And, you know, it's something that my uncle and I were able to share too. That's another interesting component um, that I've had to explore after his death too. It's like, what now? That part of it isn't sitting and having tea with my uncle after and, and feeling that care as part of it. And, you know, um, that we shared a therapist, you know, Dr. Chris knows him well, too. And so working through some of that has been has been interesting. Yeah. Jen, um, what you mentioned in the beginning stands out about you know not that you would be dead but what would your life be like without therapy and i i think i said something similar from my own interview that it's not that i would be dead but would i be alive you know the way that maybe nature had in store for me and that really stands out um i don't know what you said to dr christ about what you're looking for in therapy do, do you know did do you remember Oh, goodness. Um, well, I, when I first started, I was really afraid of what was going on with me. And I was miserable and I knew it. Um, I guess there was just the feeling of I need help getting out of this. And even, you know, um, I've had a couple of phases. I think we just talked about this last week where I said to him, I think there's been maybe three times that you've helped me through I would call it a year year or a year year and a half phase of struggle for whatever reason either you know my divorce was one of them and um, you know my son was very badly injured a couple years ago and that kind of knocked me off my rocker again and and um, I still don't know if I if I have a clear sense of of what I'm looking for in therapy, because um, originally it was just help. 
coping and handle myself. Um, it wasn't, you know, I'm anxious and I need to reduce the anxiety or I'm depressed. I need to no longer be depressed. I mean, that that's that stands out to me is there's something not going well and you need help and it's maybe not even clear, but you know you need something beyond yourself at that moment. It, it was it was probably anxiety and coping at first. And then there was just a feeling of, yeah, wanting to know myself better. I would say that with orgone therapy compared to what I hear from other people's experiences, which are still valid, that's what works for them, is that when I like really have a heart to heart with someone who's willing to listen to me about what my experience with therapy is, I often say, I'm not trying to correct my anxiety or, you know, my feelings. I'm, I'm learning how to experience it fully. I mean, that, that is what therapy is to me is that with every time I go through something difficult or feel a strong surge of emotion I, and accepting the fullness of it, I get better at it. Where now, you know, I'm a person who I find beauty in the highs and lows and, and the natural flow of life. And I accept that a good moment, even if it's just sweating while working in my garden and feeling that kind of being alive. Um, like, I don't know, I have just an understanding in my bones that, that that feels good because I've gone through the hard stuff fully and faced it head on. But I don't, I still don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I, I guess maybe now 27 years in, I understand more than I would have understood on day one that I'm not looking for a cure. Yeah. I'm looking for the ability to to see things clearly and to feel all the feelings. Yeah. So Jen, this has been a wonderful discussion. And is there anything else you'd like to say before we stop? Yeah, I mean, I I, I want to um, express gratitude for the marriage that I'm in now. Um, my husband and I have a sort of unusual love story in that um, we met when I was 15 and he was 13 and basically, you know, fell in love the moment we saw each other. Um, and I don't mean a lot of people when they talk about love at first sight, they're like, oh, that's just lust. I don't think we knew what lust was <laughs> at that age, truly. But just I had this feeling of there's my person, um, this excitement and comfort and familiarity of course at that age what do you do with all that it was this overwhelming feeling um and i don't think i shared this yet in our conversation but um my parents are world champion bridge players which is kind of a an oh, no you didn't share that yeah interesting upbringing and his parents are bridge players too. So we actually met at a bridge tournament, working at a bridge tournament as teenagers. So we met and he was going off to summer camp the next day and um, we just talked all night, you know, and I remember making such good eye contact and just really feeling like, I don't know, I know him. 
he was a foot shorter than me and younger and it wasn't yeah it wasn't like this I it didn't make sense in a lot of ways but I felt like I loved him and we gave each other just a little hug goodbye and decided to keep in touch until the next summer's bridge tournament so we wrote love letters and spoke on the phone long distance at a time when it still cost money and wow um a lot of pressure leading into this reunion the next summer it kind of blew up in our face our feelings had grown stronger and stronger and um you know i i could go on and on about this i'll try to keep it brief you know we we kind of broke each other's hearts a, a million times that week and ended up you know becoming really good friends we shared one kiss that summer you know of our reunion and then for years we're just kind of close family friends kind of through this bridge world and mm -hmm. kept in touch he was i always knew that there was no feelings like the feelings i had for him but kind of time and space and other relationships would take us away from each other and kind of to bring it full circle to something we talked about earlier Hopefully you'll understand where I'm coming from with this, but I was actually with him when I had that ill-fated ecstasy episode. Oh. And I can only imagine that as we were holding, we were good friends and holding all these feelings for each other that in our misguided youth were, were kind of, well, they say this drug, you know, is the love drug. Maybe this will allow us to... Of course, it didn't work out that way, you know. Kind I, of push through all the difficulties, all the things keeping you from being able to be together? Maybe on some level, you know. Um, yeah. You know, through the years, we would occasionally just hold hands or it was, it was, you know, it was there, but, but um, so intense that I think we couldn't, you know, kind of work it out at our young age. And, you know, we kept in touch and then eventually we fell out of touch. And I, I would talk to people and even Dr. Christ through the years um, about this feeling that that was my love. And, and of course, people would write it off like, oh, Jen, that's just puppy love or teenage feelings are so intense. Yeah, everybody feels that way about their first love. And I, I would kind of tend to agree. And I moved on with my life. And you know, meant it when I got married to my first husband. And of course, I'm grateful for that marriage too and the beautiful children that I had. But um, I too kind of wrote it off in my brain. I would have dreams about him and, and it was just still like the most intense connection that I'd made. And somehow after my divorce, we ended up in the same city you know, I, I think maybe even for the first time ever, there was a time when I was going to school in Boston and he lived in New Hampshire, not too far away, but, and, you know, it just kind of came out, you know, for both of us. I've, I've in one way or another spent my whole life loving you and decided to make a go of it. And the reason did, I did that just naturally come together, was that something you struggled with um, and, to, to, to finally make that step? Um, oh, for sure we struggled with it. You know, once the, you know, we both really 
once the cat was out of the bag that you've been as important to me as I've been to you. And it's like, you can hardly believe it. It's, it's like you knew, but we, we just, in protection of the friendship, maybe we, we didn't, we didn't allow ourselves to go there. Um, I happen to think, and this is why I bring it up in this conversation that, you know, I met him before I was even in therapy. I happen to think that we weren't ready for each other yet. You know, you meet who you're supposed to be with. Um, and that's kind of, I'm sure there are a lot of people that you could be happy with, but you meet this person when you're barely stepping into adolescence. What do you do with that? And I think maybe an instinctive part of us protected it until until we were ready to really be in a, in a lifelong commitment. Um, but, you know, yeah, you, this is also someone we held each other up on a pedestal for, for years, too. So there was some of that to work through. I, I often joke, you know, you went from being my number one crush and my puppy love to, well, he's a husband now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> crush you and board games don't go his way and leaves his socks places, you know. <laughs> <laughs> something to deal with but um in particular with therapy I also remember first of all yeah I think it primed me to get through a lot of my stuff and the first marriage and 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 to get stuff out of the way to be ready for this deeper love um I often think you know therapy isn't just dealing with the hard or looking at the bad but uncovering the good that's in there um and honestly, in, in the case of both with myself and also with this relationship that was there, something that was there all along, but you just needed to get some of the junk out of the way. Yeah, yeah. But w when we first started dating as adults in their 30s, you know, um, I, I worked with Dr. Christ a lot because this was big, you know? Yes. Um, and I was also... It was it was a little close after divorce to where I had a lot of you know sadness about my marriage ending and and just fear and trust and as anyone would and and so there was working some of that but given that intensity we'd always have I remember probably the best advice Dr. Chris maybe ever gave me was he said because I get so overwhelmed about actually being with this person finally. And, and you know, our relationship is equal parts, um, really big excitation, but he also comforts me. So it's not like I was just in a tizzy, but um, Dr. Chris said, it's as if you've been fasting for years and now here's like a buffet of the richest food in the world you have to pace yourself or you're going to get sick, you know? So he just encouraged me. It's very hard. You know, I know after decades of, of withholding feelings about this person to run into it, but take your time and, and, and having children, you know, not, you know, dictated that I take my time too, but, but yeah. yeah, we worked through some of that and turning this lifelong Thing into an actual marriage and um, you know I'm so grateful for this relationship um, 
he's very, very, very accepting of who I am. I can be intense and he's a great balance to me and is supportive of therapy. Um, he's a great stepdad and has taken his time with the kids. And, you know, now we're 11 years since refinding each other and eight years married. And I, I do still sometimes get the feeling when he walks in the room, like there's my person. That's wonderful. Well, I'm very happy for you both. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just really thankful because I know that my uncle giving me this gift of therapy and, and also just Dr. Christ, I, I can't express enough gratitude just through the years seeing me through, you know, the seasons of my life, really. Um, I'm very grateful and I, I just, there are so many positive outcomes because of therapy, but I don't know what could be more positive than being in a, in a healthy, loving relationship with somebody you've cared about literally forever. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Yeah, of course. Thank you. How do you feel after listening to Jen's story? What do you think? What stands out to me is that although Jen had panic attacks and anxiety that she was looking for help with, she really was looking for much more. She wanted more out of life. And with two children who clearly mean the world to her and a satisfying love relationship with her husband, it seems she's gotten it. We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. You can leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, Amazon's Audible, and Spotify. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Orgonomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, Medical Orgone Therapy, as practiced by the physicians at the ACO, offers a way forward, often without the use of medication.